0: Now, it's A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation, with Chuck Garcia. Chuck Garcia has climbed some of the world's highest peaks. Chuck Garcia. He's an executive coach. He's a professor at Columbia, LIU. He climbs mountains. He does it all. Chuck Garcia. Yesterday, I was clever and wanted to change the world. Today, I am wise and want to change myself. I'm Chuck Garcia. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. Every Sunday, we feature individuals from all walks of life who have overcome adversity, career challenges, and life's unexpected obstacles. With each guest, we discuss their tale of transformation that helped them to climb their personal mountains of happiness and success. Stories from a climb to the top inspire, motivate, and help ignite your transformation so that you may help others to ignite theirs. Keep listening to Talk Radio 77 WABC or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and review this podcast and tell us what you think and leave a five-star review. And now, Chuck Garcia. I think, therefore I am. Such was a quote from Rene Descartes, who lived in the 17th century and is often credited as one of the fathers and founders of modern philosophy. His theory asserts that our ability to offer proof that we exist is in that we think. Flash forward to 1994, and a neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio published a really cool book called Descartes' Error. And he argued that Descartes' Error was the separation of the mind from the emotional state that we live in. Damasio said the proof that we exist is knowing that we are able to feel those states that we cannot separate from the mind. And he said, we are a powerful combination of the two. Yet the great philosophers from India and China have been telling us something for centuries. That our well-being comes not just from our physical health, not just from our mental health, but from something called the spirit. And that we are combinations of mind, body, and spirit. And in the modern world, we continue to learn from philosophers both East and West that an optimal state is achieved by focusing on one's awareness of the present while calmly acknowledging and accepting feelings, accepting thoughts, and accepting what our body tells us. Which brings us to today's guest. Phyllis Morgan has three decades of experience as a labor and employment lawyer working in conflict zones all over the world, including Afghanistan, Uganda, and Nepal. Phyllis, to me, is a modern day philosopher, and she is a practitioner of what is called mindfulness. Phyllis, welcome to a climb to the top. Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
1: Thank you so much, Chuck. Um, It's a delight being back with you here in New York. I think the last time we were together was here in New York, and I was addressing your business students.
0: Indeed. You came into my classroom because when we met, I think it was over the phone, you and I just had this spark that even though you were in Washington or in Alexandria, Virginia, and I was in New York... Over the phone lines, it became pretty clear. Good Lord, I think there's a mind connection here because the subject matter of which you speak is something that is often foreign to an 18 year old college student because your subject matter isn't something that is either focused on or even taught in traditional education. But that's for another time. Mm-hmm. Phyllis, I think in order to get to what I spoke of in the introduction about you resolving conflicts around the world, it's very helpful to our listeners to understand where you came from. Talk to us about your background.
1: So I'm I'm one of six children, Mm -hmm. um, and my parents were actually sharecroppers. Mm-hmm. Um, in Arkansas, and as part of this large migration, um, northern migration, they moved from Arkansas to St. Louis, which is where they landed mm-hmm. and where I grew up. I grew up in the city of St. Louis, so no no burbs for me, mm-hmm. um, with all the the dynamism that came that came with it. And I would say, like e- even you know, at at that time, um, conflict was very much a part of. A part of my world. Mm-hmm. I was living um, in a neighborhood that was integrated racially, but slowly, slowly, there was white flight happening, mm-hmm. and so um, the white residents, you know, in my neighborhood were leaving to go to go to the suburbs. And I have a distinct memory of one couple coming to my parents and telling them, um, "We're leaving, but it's not because of you." Hmm. Wow. <laughs> right, in, indeed. And, and you know, my, my parents weren't highly educated. Neither one of them actually finished high school. Um, and for them, you know, putting food on the table and shelter over our heads was, I think, their, for them, their biggest achievement in, in a lot of ways. Um, and because they really didn't have... I would say the emotional skill set, right, um, to support us, like that that was not there. And, and as a result, there was a lot of conflict, I would say, family conflict um, in the home. And maybe I thought even at that time that there was something about that that became like my driver. Mm. Um, certainly... Perhaps I was precocious, I don't know, but you know, I could, I could remember at about age 10, I looked around my world and thought, this should not be this way. The way that um, women were treated differently from men, for example, um, in ways that I thought were unfair or unjust, ways that I thought like women um, seemed to carry greater burdens. Than men did. Um, certainly, outside the home, when I looked at messages, you know, on television, um, in the on listening on the radio, I thought, this world is not so just. It can be more just, and I want to be a part of that. I want to do what I can do to help this world be more fair.
0: You were applying, whether you knew it or not, the foundation of your childhood was taken a little bit from Descartes. You were thinking about things as they were and was taking things from Damasio about how you felt about the state of what you saw right in front of you. And it seems like that was a springboard for what you ultimately came to do.
1: I think it was. I mean, since that time... As I said, you know, as, as, a young, as a young child thinking, I want to do what I can to make the world more just because I, I had really this, this strong emotional reaction like, this is just not fair. Right. Not only is it not fair, but I can do something about it. Why not me? Why not me? So that was really a strong sense that I had. Um, and, and and I can tell you this, that it wasn't one that was necessarily shared in my family. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have, you know, great role models um, in terms of, you know, people who had, you know, overcome like incredible barriers or, I mean, certainly my parents had, for example, just being able to get from Arkansas to to St. Louis, but this sense of you know having parents who were well-educated, who were well-traveled, who had plenty of money, who had all of these advantages, and, and who could reach back then and show me the way, who could reach back and help me on my path, that really didn't exist so much.
0: It didn't. Yet, when we think about your background, and I'd like to explore it a little bit more, it seems like it must have been aspirational to you, because you went to law school, and then you did a whole lot of things after that, that really relate to the theme of a climb to the top, in that everyone considers changing the world. But who considers changing themselves? And and that you, it had an influence on you, because as you were growing up, you were thinking, how can I bring this idealism to the
1: world? So even, so I became a lawyer. Yeah. This was the way I thought I could um, encourage justice in the Mm -hmm. world, right? This was the way that I was going to contribute to justice-making in the world. And indeed, what I wanted to do and what I wound up doing was working with employers having their ear. So if you've got workplaces that are dysfunctional that, you know, are not inclusive or not equal, these sorts of things, then I wanted to be that person who had the employer's ear and could advise them about how and why Right? It was beneficial for them to have workplaces that were better, that were more humane, that were more egalitarian like that. And so that's what I did with with some degree of success, I would say.
0: Oh, you became a labor lawyer because it sounds like what you're describing is you can achieve a greater scale rather than helping one individual at a time. You help organizations.
1: I very consciously made this choice that even though I could, you could be on either side, okay. right? So you could file lawsuits against employers, and of course that's meaningful and that's impactful. I don't want to take anything away from that. But right, the bigger impact I thought I could have um, and the greater ability really to change larger organizations was to be on the advising end, right, right with yeah. respect to those employers. So I very deliberately made that choice because I did want to have that kind, of, that kind of impact.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you applied that strategic thinking to trying to solve certain problems in the world. Let's examine that. You are the founder of a company called Resilience at Work. What is that?
1: We are a consultancy that helps organizations... Companies, nonprofits, um, et cetera, um, cultivate more resilient workers in the workplace. That is to say, we help organizations achieve greater well being, greater balance, um, greater. Yeah, that's really it.
0: R- <laughs> no, 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 I get it, <laughs> right? that's plenty. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you don't want to do too so, much.
1: Right. So y- using. As a foundation, contemplative practices. Right. Okay? And how did I come to that? How did I come to know something about mindfulness, let's say, know something about yoga? Because, like, for many people, for me, the doorway was my own personal suffering.
0: Okay. Let's let's, let's examine that for just a second. You are listening to... A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia, and with us in the studio today is Phyllis Morgan. Phyllis, I want to pick up on that, because it sounds like where this is leading is one, if not many, of your transformative moments. There are a lot of lawyers in the world that do wonderful work. But in order to have found resilient at work, there were obstacles. There was adversity. What if anything was in your way, and what'd you do about it?
1: So I'll say this about me: mm-hmm. um, I understand that for many people, perhaps change is scary. Mm-hmm. It's frightening. It's, you know, it's the unknown. How can I move from here to there when I don't know what the there looks like necessarily? And I don't know how I'm necessarily going to overcome the obstacles to to getting from here to there. And there are various strategies we can talk about to help to help people do that. For me, perhaps because I had parents that were not very engaged. Mm.
0: Actually, you didn't have the support net that some people do.
1: I I didn't have the support. But not only that, the other side of that coin is the sort of perhaps demands, the expectations, right, that come from others. Right. So I was really sort of left to do whatever it was. I, I was left to find my own way. Right. I was left to listen to my own heart.
0: And what was your heart telling you?
1: So my heart was telling me that what I wanted to do was to give back to the world in ways that were meaningful, in ways that were impactful. Mm -hmm. And so I have to take you back a little bit to my journey I am a lawyer, you know, having practiced law for some years at this point, and I'm having a terrible struggle with one of the partners at the law firm where I'm practicing. I'm really suffering. This is really difficult. And my yoga teacher introduces me to a particular mindfulness practice. It's called loving kindness. And with this practice, it is about, you know, starting with yourself, acknowledging, recognizing that, you know, you like yourself. You want yourself to be happy. You want good things for yourself.
0: Well, help mm-hmm. us understand, the listeners, some of the practices you talked about. They may sound abstract to others, yeah. this mindfulness. Help us understand what you did in order to get to the path that you're describing.
1: Sure. So mindfulness really, it, it has a, a number of different qualities, actually, I say. Mindfulness is a state of mind. It's a skill that you can learn. And it's also a way of being, a way that you can actually show up in the world. So this is a way of mindfulness. It is about how we open up. It's an awakening Awakening to what? Awakening to what is inside of you? Awakening to what arises within you? Um, And also your external environment. When you, think of it this way, there's a stimulus and there's a response, okay? What's happening in between, a lot of times is unconscious, right? We are unconscious to the, as you said before, the feelings, the thoughts, the sensations that are happening, what's happening with my body. So when, something, when someone criticizes me, when my boss criticizes me, and I have that trigger, right? Do I even know that I'm being triggered? Do I know that I'm getting flush in the face? My hands are clenching. My stomach is in knots. Do I even realize that's going on? Do I understand the narratives that are playing in my mind? So, you see, we've got these constant loops going on, right? The stories that we tell ourselves, the feelings that we have, like that. And so much of it is happening at an unconscious level. Maybe you've seen that metaphor, the iceberg, where, you know, the tip of the iceberg is our conscious awareness of our behavior and so forth. But so much of the rest that influences that is underneath the surface. So mindfulness actually helps us to um, get more, create more awareness, right? To sort of have more at the top of that iceberg, not just the tippy top, okay? But to push, push into our conscious awareness more of what's going on. Why? Why is it important? Who cares? Because if we're not doing the things that are, conducive, if we're not doing the things that are productive, that bring us happiness, that are wholesome, that are beneficial to ourselves, to our family, to our communities, then we want to shift our behavior, don't we? We want to change that behavior. The first step of that change is insight. We have to be able to create that insight into what's going on right now, seeing it, so that then we're in a better position to respond and respond with wisdom, respond, yeah, respond with greater wisdom. So that stimulus and response I talked about before. So if you're engaged in a mindfulness practice where you're calming down the body with deep breathing or just sitting in meditation, watching the rising and falling of your belly, or if you're engaged in a compassion practice where you're actually practicing um, mental thoughts about, may I be more compassionate, may I be you know um, m- more happy, may I be more empathetic to other people, like this. And developing those mental skills, you repeat that over and over, you begin to in- inculcate that. So that then when you've got the stimulus and the response in between, yeah, you can see what's happening, you can slow it down, and then you can respond with greater wisdom.
0: Indeed. You know, often when I teach emotional intelligence, I talk about the equilibrium between act and react. Yes. And often, just in my own practice, many people that I work with, a lot of C-level people who have are somewhat under enormous strain and pressure. Absolutely. And sometimes right. don't come to the realization that how people perceive you is 10% how you act, and 90% how you react. And what you were describing is when you are going through an emotional distress, your body is saying to me on the other side, You are your body speaks before your mouth opens. And I see your face turns red, your f- fists clench. How do you help your clients and the people you work with In this day and age of social media, the onslaught of information to us, how do you turn off that ticker tape and focus on yourself?
1: Yeah, it is, I think, more challenging today than it has ever been. That's for sure. We have many more ways of being distracted. Right? We have many more distracting strategies (laughs) out there. So, how are we able to focus more? How are we able to um, really corral our attention? And I will say this it takes practice, okay? But I want to relate that to what it is that you value. So, I'm going to relate this Hmm. to your why. Okay? Why do you want to do it? Why is is it important to you? Yes.
0: So, let's hold that for just a second. I want Mm -hmm. to be sure that we put this into tangible forms. Say again the starting point. The starting point is
1: I would say the starting point is um, identify your big why. Okay.
0: Your why, bring context to why. The why, why I'm a lawyer, why I'm a whatever
1: why Why do I want to be less distracted? Okay. Because indeed, let me say this, many people are happy with their distractions.
0: I mean, in fact, it's funny you say that. <laughs> what we're trying to do, let's, let, let's say that the path to self-improvement often starts with the elimination of a habit. Because often I know you probably do the same when you work with people and you try to modify the behaviors. There's a few ways to do it. And one of the ways to gain some instant... At least some clarity and, and some instant gratification is, let me first stop doing something. And that's the elimination of that bad habit. So it, it, what you're suggesting is, and this is going to be our takeaways to, to the listeners, it starts with...
1: It starts with the big why. Okay,
0: got that. The big why, why do I want to improve? Why do I want to change?
1: Correct, correct. Why do I want to change this behavior? Because, first of all, you have to recognize that there's some behavior that is that no longer serves you, that no longer serves you. So if it's not beneficial, you have to first have that recognition, okay, and, and then how is it not beneficial? How is it not serving me? So I want to improve. um, I know that the smoking habit is not beneficial. Mm -hmm. I know that being obese is not beneficial because high blood pressure, um, I can't move as well. I can't, you know, walk up the stairs without huffing and puffing. I can't pick up my kids without, you know... Being at risk, at a heart attack, whatever. Um, I want to improve because, you know, my relationships, you know, with my colleagues or with my family is suffering when I do this particular thing. When I'm so impatient, I'm a jerk, okay? Well, you're, you're,
0: you're suggesting <laughs> right. that prior to the elimination of those bad habits, try to look in the mirror and recognize the consequence of not changing
1: I I would suggest, I submit to you that behavior change is sort of challenging, right? Mm -hmm. We all know that sticking to it is challenging. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you have to have a big and strong why so that when things get tough, when you don't want to do it. I'll take a really easy example. I'm a longtime runner, Mm -hmm. okay? So sometimes, most of the time I enjoy running. But of course, we don't always want to do that, right? So, how am I going to um, help promote that habit? So, what I used to do was if I was going to run early in the morning, I would set out all my clothes that the, the You know, the shoes, the shorts, everything. So I could just literally roll out of bed and into... Make (laughs) it easy. Right. Make it easy. And also connect it to some big why. Okay, there's a big race I want to run. The race is important to me for these reasons like that. That's being mindful. That's being mindful, and it's connecting that mindfulness to the why. And I think you actually need both. So when you read the data about the sort of attributes the characteristics of people who have overcome tremendous adversity you know, in life. What are these factors, the resilient factors, that, that they have in common? And a lot of them are what I'm explaining here today. They've connected that I'm going to overcome this feeling with a big why why it's important, why I want to do this, what are the consequences of that? Why is this meaningful? Why is it impactful? Mm -hmm. So very important. Connect it to also a value system, a spiritual practice or a religious practice, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to sit and meditate or I'm going to pray or whatever that thing is that helps ground you and get you back you know, to that center, back to the things that that you value and you determine are important.
0: To start our listeners potentially on their journey, is there a particular book or material that you would recommend that they can read and internalize and begin to practice?
1: I recommend um, finding a good teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, So if this is for, you know, an individual person who wants individual instruction, I recommend... um, Trying to find a good mindfulness meditation teacher. Okay. Uh, secondly, there are some good apps out there mm-hmm. as well that include instruction by some of the most well-respected, experienced teachers out there. So find those apps um, that that can help you as well.
0: And where can the listeners find you? <laughs>
1: Listeners can find me at www.resilient, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T, at work.com. Um, I can also be reached um, by phone, of course, yeah, 800-454-0021. You can find all of the contact information On my website, Um, and I would I would recommend um, for the listeners that if they want more information, you know I've got a book that I'm working on that's going to be published in the spring about how we can be more resilient in conflict, which of course is a recurring. It's a huge issue, right? So how can we better manage our emotional state? Um, In conflict. So go to the website, you know, sign up to be um, on the book list or the newsletter that comes out regularly, and I would be happy to add you to my list.
0: I started this program with quoting a couple philosophers, and I'd like to end with a modern-day philosopher. It's the late, great Michael Jackson. And he said, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways no message can be made any clearer if you want to make the world a better place
1: take Take a a look look at yourself yourself
0: and make that that change you have listened to a climb to the top stories of transformation i'm chuck garcia my guest was phyllis morgan and phyllis thank you so much for coming into the studio it's been a real pleasure
1: chuck it's been a great pleasure for me as well thank you for having me